0: Welcome to season five of the Florida Institute for Child Welfare podcast. I am Jessica Price, your host. Over the next few episodes, we will hear from innovators in child welfare and their system partners who are working to transform the workforce through technology. I'm looking forward to learning about the process of implementing new initiatives and gaining the frontline perspective from our colleagues in the field. Let's get started. Today, we're talking to Molly Tierney, and we're going to hear about virtual reality and how it's impacting the field, and I also want her to tell us about how it all came to be. So, Molly, how are you?
1: I'm very well. Thanks for asking. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing well. I wanted to start with, I always ask our guests to tell the listeners how you even got into child welfare. I'm curious about that.
1: It's such a great question. I was thinking about that a little this morning, and you know, the long and short of it is a I always sort of had a, since I was a child, had a, a penchant for service and a soft spot for the underdog. And so I had some experiences in my teens and early 20s that revealed to me the fact that opportunity is simply not doled out equitably in this country. And some stuff just isn't fair. And so as I continued sort of on the path of my own work, Child welfare seemed like a really great place to get your shovel in the ground <laughs> against that phenomenon.
0: And when you got into child welfare, what was your first role? I know I tell folks all the time I used to be a PI and then I went to study the workforce. So what was your first role in child welfare like?
1: I was a caseworker on the west side of mm-hmm. Chicago and working with a program that was particularly focused on keeping kids at home with their own parents and avoiding them coming Mm -hmm. into foster care. And so that sort of framed the rest of my career. And after that, you know, it was sort of a crooked path as opportunities presented itself. I kept capitalizing on them, but I was always looking for opportunities to make change at a larger scale.
0: Yeah, I can relate to that for sure. I always tell people that preparation meets opportunity. So as we continue to prepare our skills and prepare our positionality, and then opportunity comes up. So I like what you said, you just took advantage of the opportunities that came your way. So I can relate to that. So I know that we're here to talk about virtual reality. So the next question is, tell us about how you got into VR. You told us about how you got into the field, but tell us what made you interested in this type of avenue?
1: Well, I joined Accenture, which is a global consulting firm after about twenty-five years in the public sector. My interest in Accenture is it's a massive organization with world-class technology and really smart people. And remember, I'm thinking about what if we could do good child welfare at scale? Like fast and at scale. And as I, you know, got my feet wet in thinking about the role technology could play a couple of colleagues and I turned our attention to, well, look at all these other high risk fields are using virtual reality, all of them. Like when COVID is over, you can trust and believe that when you get in an airplane, that pilot is not learning to fly with a commercial jet full of people. She or he learned in virtual reality, and I could go on and on. And so we are sort of a head scratcher. Well, this is, I think the only high risk field that isn't training people in this way. And it is a kind of learning that's so impactful And that literature is clear on this. Immersive learning is tenfold more effective, more retention, as opposed to more traditional approaches. And so as that got interesting to me and I began to think about what are the real pain points in child welfare? And that is what kept me awake at night when I was worried about, I'm sending caseworkers out to do something, and God, I hope I have prepared them enough. So the idea was we could create opportunities in VR that replicate what caseworkers are going to see in the field and give them a couple of turns at practicing in that kind of environment before they're doing it on the backs of the families that they're serving, right? Right. So what we're trying to do in virtual reality is have a chance to practice observing people and have a chance interpreting their behavior And then in a group, get a chance to think about, well, what I noticed is different than what you noticed. What came up for me is different than what came up for you. And how could we all together expand our repertoire of skills for working with families? So that was a long answer to a short question.
0: No, it was helpful. And when you were talking about the plane analogy, I thought about this movie that I watched, and it was based on a true story. The Miracle on the Hudson is what they called it. And what was interesting is when they were reenacting what happened, it was all VR. I mean, I think they were taking someone through the exact same scenario, trying to figure out, did the pilot do the right thing or did it do the most efficient thing? And I just thought about child welfare, in addition to everything you just said, which is amazing, what if that was a way to do our quality management or how do we evaluate what happened with a case with VR. How do we send a caseworker into a a VR sort of scenario and think about how they made a decision and what other decisions they could have made? Because that airplane analogy really drove the point home. There's so many different ways to use it.
1: One way I think about it is it's really easy to think about our virtual reality work as something someone's doing in a headset and then it's over. And I think it's more important to conceive of it as an approach to learning. It's an approach that has three parts. One part is get in a headset, have an immersive uninterrupted experience where you get to practice something that feels very much like what it's gonna be in the field. Second, there's an interactive seminar, get with groups of people who were in that headset. And that's where it's, well, what other decisions could you have made? Like, what are other ways that we could do an analysis together of all the choices that were available and all the ways that we saw what was happening in that house. Because in that headset, even though there's one story in the headset, each of us has a different experience of that story, just like it would be if we all walked in a home, we'd experience it differently. And then the third part is user analytics. So folks like you could see how swaths of people are behaving in a headset and it might make you go, hmm, I can now see the next part of the learning agenda that I need to be creating.
0: I love it. It's like adaptive engineering. You know, what are we learning in each one that we can change the next one? This is a good segue into the next question because I've been reading a lot about VR and just seeing so much of it sprouting. Like you said, in other fields, there are some VR experiences where you have an avatar or you have an emoji or things like that. So I wanted you to describe to the listeners, what does a person see when they put on your VR headset?
1: We film actors and we film them on green screen. And then there's some technology at work to stitch the video of the actors into a location. And we very carefully dress a set. We get in somebody's home and we dress it to make it look like we know exactly how this house has to look. And the entire experience is voice activated. So there's no handheld, there's no clickers. What you do is speak and the characters answer you. So you have the experience that you're observing a family and you're sitting across a table from someone and they're looking you in the eye, waiting for you to ask them a question or make a comment, and then they're going to answer you. The way we've set it up is every time you have a chance to talk to a character, you have a menu of choices from which you select. You pick off a menu of what question you're going to ask. The menu item that you pick determines the answer you're going to get. And so that means while there's one story, everyone's getting different pieces of information of that story, just like it would be if we all went on a home visit, right? Visually, that's what you see the arc of all the stories are. So you see a family interact, you get a chance to interview each family member, and then in the end, you have a problem to solve. Typically, the problem is, is this home safe enough for this kid or isn't it? And the first scenario we made involves a little girl named Sophia. She, in perpetuity, is seven And lives at home with her mom, Monica, and her mom's boyfriend, Lance. And it's great. Like, we're very carefully cast the child and her mom as sort of racially ambiguous. And the father is played by a white guy, but he's a great big bear of a man, think like Sons of Anarchy. He's a great big scary dude. This was important to me because I expected everyone to put that headset on and see a black family. And I was like, well, let me just help everybody not lean into that particular bias we have about child welfare. And all of those individuals have just a really powerful way of interacting with the user and bringing that story to life. And I've even had users take the headset off and turn to me and say, "Okay, you have to tell me where Sophia is. I need her address right now. We had the opportunity to speak
0: with Kelly Hicks, who works in the Youth and Families Service Division in Charlotte, North Carolina. She is working with Molly and Accenture on virtual reality. Let's hear from her on the challenges they're facing in child welfare and how VR can help address them.
2: The biggest challenge that we are facing in our current role, which is no different from probably many jurisdictions across the United States, is recruiting and retaining qualified staff. So that would be the first challenge, and what we found was we needed to really change the way in which we engaged our new hires during their onboarding process. And we previously used to use paper-based scenarios where when we hired our new hires, we would introduce them to a family that was literally documented and typed out on a piece of paper. And we would have them read the scenario. And of course that was what we thought was the best way to do it then, read the scenario. How do we apply our social work policies and practices? How do we complete our structured decision-making tools? And so here in North Carolina, we have three structured decision-making tools, a safety assessment, a risk assessment, and then a strength and needs assessment. And we would have our new hires really follow this family through every service area. Investigations, meaning a report came in on the family, then we would find the family in need of services, meaning the family would go to our in-home service area and we would work a case plan with that family. And then unfortunately, the risk would be so great for that family that the child or children would then come into foster care, which is in our permanency planning area, and we would have the new hires then apply the tools in that service area as well. And so what we were finding is The staff were engaging at that time, but through our employee satisfaction surveys, it just was not quite staying with them when it transitioned into their field work, when they finally were able to get an actual case and have to engage with families. And so when we were able to connect with Accentra and the team underneath me, the two trainers, as well as the staff development unit collectively, when we were introduced to the virtual reality devices, and we were able to see that these are real families, and we are connecting with real families A 360 view, it really allows our staff to have a safe environment of assessing families without feeling penalized, and it takes away a paper-based interaction, where you're not just looking at a name on a piece of paper, but you're physically relating to a person sitting across from you.
0: Molly, as we all know, change is difficult, and with any new technology, there might be challenges.
1: Have you had any pushback? Yes, right, because change is hard. This is a different way of doing things. I think there are a lot of jurisdictions that invested in these simulation rooms where people drive to a place, and then usually you're hiring actors and creating a narrative, and those are much heavier lifts than a VR headset, but people are used to it. That sort of became the gold standard. Everybody went and... Made the simulation rooms. I don't actually think of this as instead of any training that anyone's doing. It's in addition to, here's another thing that we could be doing, and we can knit it into the existing training that you're having. That's the first thing. The second thing is that has been such a fascinating journey for me is the real gift of our work, and we call it Avenues, the Accenture Virtual Experience Solution. The real gift of this work is that it is nudging to the surface of your consciousness, the bias that is in you. And I don't mean literally you, Jessica, in all of us, in me, in you, in everybody, right? Because we all got it. And that can be hard. We're working hard to find ways to help people step into that space, knowing it's okay. Like, let's talk about it. Let's reflect on it. And imagine what behavior change might look like for each of us, what it might look like to get a hold of ourselves and not have bias drive the decisions that we're making in child welfare. And I'm not mad at anybody because I got bias too. It is time for us to admit it is a demographic fact that bias is driving too much of decision making in child welfare. There's work to talk about bias at the policy level and at the concept level. And we can even have people come in and lecture about it. But you know, and I know, if we don't get people in interactive space, if we don't get them able to see themselves in different ways, it's just a nice training they went. They're not gonna change their behavior. And the only way we're gonna shift this is if we all figure out how to change our behavior. So I'm at peace with the fact that sometimes that's uncomfortable for folks. And I always lean into opportunities to help people Catch that when it happens. Catch that when either we're racing into something with our bias or if I'm having a hard time stepping into a conversation about bias. I think that's a trick to figure out how do we get people into the conversation because the most popular sport Americans play, given the opportunity to talk about race, is escapism. How do we all stop escaping? (laughs) conversation that so desperately needs to be had.
0: Now let's hear from Kelly about if there was any resistance in her child welfare agency of Mecklenburg County, North Carolina.
2: This may sound odd, but we probably didn't have much resistance from bringing in the technology. The resistance, if any, possibly came just from having supervisors and managers make the time to come to the sessions to view the technology, because we know that supervisors are the key to job retention. Anything that we roll out in Mecklenburg County Youth and Family Services, we always start with our managers and supervisory staff and teams, because we want to make sure that one, they have a clear understanding of the information. So any training that we are presenting, we always train to our supervisors first. So we want to make sure that they have a clear understanding of the information that will be shared to their team members. So when we received the VR devices, we offered those sessions to managers and supervisors first. We did not quite get the percentage that we wanted. And I think that's only because, again, of the position we're in right now with the great resignation. So a lot of our supervisors are carrying cases for their team members. A lot of our supervisors due to that are conducting home visits and having to go to court. So many of them were not necessarily able to come to our sessions to participate in the VR overview. So that would be the only setback that I viewed, but overall it was received largely positive by the managers that did attend, the supervisors that attend, our senior executive team, our director was a huge supporter of allowing us to bring the VR devices into the department, as well as our divisional director. And I believe our biggest lesson learned was that these VR devices help our front end staff, particularly those that do not have a social work degree, have a realistic look at a case in a way in which they will work with the family and child welfare. Because we right now are hiring individuals with non-social work degrees, so they may not have an understanding. So the VR device gives them that baseline of how they will go out and work with the family.
0: Absolutely. What I appreciate about Avenues, you know, the VR technology that you have, is that it's not just, hey, put these glasses on, put this headset on, and get trained in decision making. And because here at our institute, we have an appropriation, we have funding to do some amazing things as it relates to developing the workforce. I'm constantly telling myself, but I don't want to use our appropriation and use the resources to teach the status quo, to hone the status quo. And I love hearing you talk about this because it's so much more than just put this on and learn how to make better decisions. It's no, let's also take them off and then talk to each other about what came up for you. How did you feel about working with a very poor family? How did you feel about working with a family that didn't speak your language? Things like that. So I appreciate the global nature of what you're trying to do in child welfare because we're trying to and it's hard. It's
1: so hard. I think that matters so much. And one of the things that I enjoy most about this work is so many of our clients are using it in ways I never would have guessed. And they're learning things that I never would have anticipated. That's the beauty of it is it's not the status quo, it's the leading edge. And on this edge, we have new ways of thinking and new ways of doing things. And that is a joyous thing in child welfare because so much of child welfare is, man, you did that wrong yesterday and I'm here to judge you for having done it wrong. And now you're gonna have to write me a report about how you did it wrong. And I feel like we have to have other ways that we're moving forward into different ways of being.
0: Yeah, because we don't want to have someone making a decision out of fear, out of fear of being in trouble for not making a certain decision. So you're spot on with that. We're creating a culture of risk aversion where decisions aren't about the well-being of families. And we all know that. Let's go back to Kelly in North Carolina to hear how the experience has been working with Molly on virtual reality. Accentra
2: does a wonderful job of partnering with the respective agency. So for us, Mecklenburg County Department of Social Services, to provide a train-the-trainer experience. So we received a train-the-trainer session for the first scenario, which is Sophia's safety assessment, as well as the second scenario, which is Tori's home visit. And I participated, both of the trainers on my training team, as well as the policy and practice model supervisor and our continuous quality and training supervisor. And so once you put those goggles on, you are literally in another world. You're in Sophia's home, that is how real it is. And so you can take your whole body and turn around 360 degrees and see the entire environment in Sophia's home and in Tori's home. And so it really allows the individual, so the social worker to really place him or herself in that family's home. And when you're engaging with the family, because the whole scenario is set up to where you have conversations and you ask specific questions to the child, Sophia, to her mother, and then to the mother's boyfriend. And then in Tori's home visit, it's the same thing. You ask specific questions to Tori, which is a young man, to his mother and to his father. They are sitting immediately across from you to where if this was in person, your arms length across. And so it, again, allows the social worker to place him or herself in an environment where they can get an understanding and a true feeling of engaging with the family. What is that anxiety? How are you going to pause to ask the next question? How are you going to feel when the father is getting upset and he's yelling at you? while taking in the environment and having to be mindful of where you position yourself in the home because again in school they talk about safety so where are you positioning yourself in the home to where if you need to leave what is the fastest way to exit so it truly is an immersive experience that allows the social worker or the participant to truly feel as though they are inside of a family's home
0: And Molly, can you share with the listeners any highlighted accomplishments from your work on VR?
1: There have been some really joyous things that have come out of this. The state of Indiana reported a 32% reduction in worker turnover in the first year of use of this tool because they used it in a way I wouldn't have guessed it. They use it in interview so that people can self-select out of something because that's a problem. States do all the work to post and all the work to interview and all the work to hire and all the work to train. Then they send someone on their first home visit who says, heck no, I'm not doing this. And then they use it in onboarding, which rendered people feeling more supported by and connected to their organization and more prepared for the field. So that was great. Our friends down in Georgia, they're great. They went from, we can't get anybody to come to training to now they're lined up out the door. And they're using this opportunity to talk about the imbalance of power when you're standing in someone's house. The caseworker has all of it. Family has none of it. And now caseworker, what are you going to do now that you have all the power? How are you going to think about holding it, redistributing it, managing it? That's beautiful. Ohio did some very interesting work where they've, it's a little like Florida. It's a place that is state supervised and county administered. It's got locally administered, right? And that there is often challenges in differences of opinion about what needs doing the state uses as a way to bring the counties and the state together in collective purpose. And I thought that's lovely. That is lovely. So happy to see all of that. There's also a long list of awards that this tool has received in the technology space and in social impact space. Awards aren't everything and that's not what we're hunting for. But they are markers that we are out on the leading edge we want to be on and that people are engaged in the idea that technology can be used to leverage change.
0: With that being said, I'm curious about the goals of Avenues because there could be so many goals. Enhance your awareness around implicit bias, better decisions, you know, more group think. But tell me about the goals of the work you do because I know that there could be some short-term, intermediate, long-term. Tell us about that.
1: Among the goals are to better prepare people for the field because you and I know it takes a very long time to get good at casework because it's all on the job, right? And so we think this is one way we could speed that up. I also bring to that a goal of scrubbing bias out of decision-making in child welfare. And I, I feel very strongly on this point. I don't know, for me, there's something about really bringing reflective practice to child welfare because since I've been in the field people have said most important things good reflective supervision and I don't know anybody thinks they really have the time for that in the way we think about it everyone's running around trying to avoid being in trouble And I think oh, that's not the same as we're gonna help families heal that's not the same and if what we really mean is we're gonna help families heal, we can't get derailed by that kind of fear. And that means we have to have mechanisms to understand how we inform ourselves, how we develop opinions, how we think about the families. It's almost like, you know, I cut my finger yesterday and I think about it like, oh, my finger hurts. Like that that thing is outside of me. It's this thing over here, but I never think, wow, that thought is hurting me. That thought that I'm having is doing damage to me and to the people around me. And so there's some work to pull our thoughts away from us so we can see them more clearly and say, wow, look at that. Look what I just, look how fast that happened for me. And the extent to which avenues can help create containers where groups of people can do that together. I'm optimistic that it will help make a shift.
0: Let's hear from Kelly about her future goals around VR. So, we have
2: some broad goals. I mean, we are really thinking big here in Mecklenburg County. Initially, our number one goal is to continue to use the VR devices within our START group onboarding to make sure we tap into the skills of those individuals, of course, with the social work degrees and with the other degrees as well, because we truly believe it will enhance their skill development. Second to that, We are currently seeking ways to partner with our supervisors to explore how the VR devices can be used within their teams as team building activities. So if a supervisor examines that there are some deficits within their team around assessment, around engaging, around any of our core competencies. So even with documentation, because the trainers have done a piece to where the new hires participate in the VR device, and then they're able to document their observation. So we're hoping to really allow supervisors to utilize the VR devices within their teams in that manner as well. Some of our intermediate goals may include really training some of our seasoned staff, because again, you may be seasoned in numbers in years of service, but you may not necessarily be seasoned in practice if you have not engaged yet in a certain type of case. So we have a forensic team here and they mostly get all of our sex abuse cases and our domestic violence cases. So you could be a seasoned staff, not on the forensic team, meaning you've worked here for 15 plus years and received very limited domestic violence cases. Now that doesn't happen, I'm gonna go ahead and tell you that, but let's just say it did. So we would want to make sure that you know how to engage with families around a domestic violence case. And we would start by introducing them to Sophia's safety assessment because that's the baseline within that particular scenario. Another opportunity that we're really aiming for within our practice model, one of our core values is partnerships and collaborations. And so we're really aiming to integrate our virtual reality devices with our community stakeholders, specifically the school system, the hospital, And the police department so they could gain a more robust understanding of what exactly child protective services looks like and when we look at those mandated reporter trainings they will have an understanding of what it looks like to sit in the social worker's shoes that's what we're hoping to do there with our external partners and then we're eventually trying to disaggregate the numbers from our VR scenarios to really look at those individuals who have subsequently participated in the VR training compared to the individuals who did not, because we just implemented this just in 2020 since the impact of COVID. Are we seeing positive outcomes with their case scenarios in their casework? Meaning are they able to close their cases faster? Are they able to provide reunification faster? Or are we seeing those individuals still process out with resignations, which we're trying to really examine that as well.
0: I also am curious about, you're already on the cutting edge. I mean, I think this is the future. Is there a future of VR? Like what else do you think is out there? You know, how are the wheels turning for you regarding the future of avenues?
1: Well, we have a library now and with each successive module that we make, right? Cause I think of it as a whole module. It's the, what we're doing in the headset and what we're doing with the seminar curriculum. With each successful module, we've learned the technology has improved and we are trying to do something just a little more daring every time. And so we have a scenario that is this, on my little friend, Sophia, that's really focused on the universal. You gotta be able to observe and interpret people's behavior. The next scenario is on the intersection of domestic violence and child welfare. And what I'm trying to do is get the user to understand what we know, that the mere fact of observing domestic violence puts the alleged victim at significant risk. So careful now. And let's think about in seminar, what are we doing as observers, right? We made one that I'm exceedingly proud of that is focused on race equity. Uh, This one's a little different because it's users the headset on and visit the home of a very complicated family and it's only after you're out of the headset that you learn there was not one family there were two families when users put the headset on they're randomly sorted and the families are largely identical they have the same names they live in the same house they wear the same clothes they deliver the same lines the difference between them is one family is black and the other family is white This lends itself really nicely to the seminar because half of the people who come into the seminar only saw a white family with the very same story, and half of the people come in and only saw a black family with the very same story, and they can unpack what were the differences in how we all behaved. We're just wrapping one now. This is our latest shift. Each of the ones I just described, you have a problem to solve. Is the kid safe enough or not, for instance? This one we're focusing on adolescent mental health and trauma-informed care and you have the opportunity to interact with a single teenage girl over time. You have the opportunity to come to understand how trauma has impacted her life and her family over generations. She, as you can imagine, is very provocative. (laughs) And she is needling you and coming at you the entire time. And the task is, of course, resist the urge to control her behavior and try to get underneath it. The trick of this one is it's an insoluble problem. And so then the question is, what are we going to do? Let's at a seminar and get in and what are we going to do for, for instance, teenage girls for whom it is that complicated? What are we, we got to generate ideas. And so you see how that was a shift to, I don't have the answer. I mean, I didn't have the answer for any of the scenarios we booked, but for this one, we really need to have a seminar that is, we got to get some new ideas. What are we going to do for these young yeah. people who have this, we have all contributed to the life that they have right now over generations. So. I guess your answer is, what's the future? I mean, I'm going to get back out on the edge again, because actually the next one we're doing is on early childhood mental health. So I'm going to need you to say a prayer for me, because we'll be filming four-year-olds, and I haven't quite figured out how we're going to pull that off. But that's okay, because that's the fun part, is how are we really getting into the pressure points that human services is feeling, and never taking the easy way out
0: I absolutely love that you talked about the teenager. We are doing so many things this year relating to teens that are in care and those that are aging out. And I get this a lot when we're talking about transforming child welfare and race equity and implicit bias and decision making. Some caseworkers are saying, but but have you met this teenager? Would you want to live with her? Things like that. Would you want to live with him? And I appreciate that you all are hitting those pain points that we don't have the best answer. We don't have the absolute answer, but let's figure out what we can brainstorm together. Because I think there are some seemingly intractable situations and telling someone they need to make better decisions, don't have implicit bias, keep families together. is not enough. We have to get in the same room and try to figure this out together. So I really appreciate hearing that you're making one about that. That's a tough scenario.
1: It was heartbreaking to make. I actually wept when we filmed the final scene. It's just so heartbreaking. And I feel like if we as a community, as a collection of professionals in this field, because everybody's talking about reinvention or you know reinvigorating child welfare, I think that's great. If we don't as a community really get into, oh, this is heartbreaking. What is happening to these children is heartbreaking. And if we don't go at it with that level of love, I know that sounds really namby-pamby, but I'm really feeling strongly about it, is we have to start every conversation with, okay, well, what would we be doing right now if we loved these children? If that were the presenting question, I think we would be designing different interventions, Jessica. Yeah.
0: Well, I I heard a keynote once, and the keynote said that they did an analysis of pre-service trainings and things like that across the country. And There was very little, if any, mention of love or hope. And maybe some people would say, well, of course not. This is our jobs. But then it made everyone in the room think, if there's any profession that needs the words love and hope to be a part of our lexicon, to be a part of how we're maneuvering, it's child welfare, but it's just not.
1: Yes, it is a tangled mess, but tangles can come undone. Like, we can do it. I think we're going to have to go at it with that level of passion and affection.
0: A big part of Molly and her team's vision for virtual reality is to shed light on bias and promote racial equity. Let's get an idea from Kelly on their efforts for race equity in her county.
2: Underneath our practice model here within Mecklenburg County Youth and Family Services, we have a racial equity and inclusion foundation. And so we want to make sure that in working with our external partners, they have a thorough understanding of how children of color are largely impacted by child welfare. And so we would introduce Tory's home visit to them because that's the racial equity scenario. And we really want to introduce that one because we know that the disproportionality starts on the front end once the call is made to intake. And then it then sees it grow on the back end when our children are in adoption and prior to adoption foster care.
0: And I appreciate you bringing up race equity being the center of Tori's VR experience because I know that this is a big part of why Molly does what she does with VR. It's important to her to engage people around their own biases. So how was that received in Mecklenburg? Were people open to it? Did people shut down? Just curious how that went.
2: Overall, People are open to receiving Tori's home visit here in Mecklenburg because of the foundation we have laid with our racial equity and inclusion platform. And I say foundation because our practice model has several court interventions, which include shared parenting, comprehensive assessments, child and family team meetings. But at the center of our practice model is race equity and inclusion because we believe none of those court interventions can exist independently without incorporating a racial equity and inclusion lens, And so we did a lot of work with our staff in that we have a racial equity and inclusion training that really allows them to open up and tap into any biases that they may have and how they can go about doing this work. That probably was a larger hurdle to tackle than the VR device was, which I believe allowed the VR device to be easily digested because most of our existing staff have already completed the racial equity and inclusion training, which is also now introduced on the back end of Start Group. So any new hires that come in, they do their onboarding. And then after that, they do all of our practice model core intervention trainings, which includes race equity and inclusion.
0: Well, as we wrap up, this has been amazing. I'd like to ask our guests, what are they most looking forward to? I want to end on a hopeful note. You know, what's most exciting right now for you in child welfare? What are you just hopeful about relating to the work you do?
1: I really believe we can redraw the landscape. I really believe we can. And I'm thrilled to see hotspots in the country That are not nibbling around the edges of this thing, that they are really taking it head on and determined to approach the support of families in wildly different ways. I just can't wait to see all the ways that takes shape. I'm very optimistic about it. Can't wait, can't wait to see it.
0: For folks who are listening and interested in virtual reality, here are Kelly's thoughts on how to get started.
2: The first thing is, give in to the resistance, that's the first thing, because there are opportunities and challenges. And once you give in to the resistance, those specific agencies that may be interested in VR devices, I would encourage them to reach out to other agencies such as Mecklenburg County, Department of Social Services that are currently able to utilize the devices and it wasn't until mecklenburg county really was able to connect through another opportunity that we learned that georgia uses these same devices but they've been using theirs longer and so we're always open to learn from what's gone well what they improved upon and so i encourage other agencies who may be interested to reach out to existing agencies who are using the vr devices I would also say think creatively as well as think about the innovation as to how the VR devices are not going to, or may not only impact your new hires, but how your entire organization can benefit from the VR devices. We looked at utilizing the VR devices from a front end onboarding lens first but then we quickly realize that it's larger than that. We quickly realize, as I shared previously, that we can utilize the VR devices with our existing season staff as well as with our external partners. And lastly, I would say why I said give into the resistance is because the VR devices can mostly be used for coaching and teaching. The device itself. Is its best teacher of how a worker can engage with a family, and then the supervisor can then provide a transfer of learning with that staff member to talk about what he or she learned from the VR experience.
0: I would like to thank Molly and Kelly for taking time to share their journey through virtual reality. If you are interested in learning more about their amazing work, please visit us at www.ficw. fsu.edu. You can also follow us on social media at FSU Child Welfare. Thank you for listening.